Hey church, welcome to an online worship service. It's the first of the month, so we're going to be taking communion together. So if you need to pause for a moment and gather uh, some elements for you and your family, please do so now. Uh, If you hang out at ABF long enough, you'll hear Pastor Scott say a phrase. He'll say it at the end of a message sometimes. Uh, He'll invite uh, someone who's here who's never said yes to the Lord before to say yes and, and signify that by standing and saying, I'm in. That's just an ABF thing. You'll hear that from time to time. After that, uh, typically someone will get baptized. They'll, you know, they'll start to build their relationship with, with uh, Jesus. And then, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of it on that front. We don't, you don't have to get baptized over and over to stay saved. It's once and for all. It's sins are forgiven, man. You're, it's good to go. Um, but we have this communion ritual that draws us back as a family. It draws us to the table where we're reminded about um, his faithfulness to us, his sacrifice for us. And it's, it's almost a way for the church to once a month um, to ourselves kind of say, yeah, I'm still in. I still need this Jesus as my, my savior and my Lord and my friend and my guide and ultimately my healer and my salvation. So prepare your hearts accordingly to join in communion a little bit later. But first, let's sing. Here we go. Christ is my reward all of my devotion Now there's nothing in this world could ever satisfy through every trial my soul will sing no turning back I've been set free Christ is enough for me Christ is enough Cross before me 
Let us draw near to the Lord's presence. He's closer than a brother. There's a grace when the heart is under fire. Another way when the walls are closing in. And when I look at the space between where I used to be and this reckoning, I know I will never be alone. There was another in the fire.
song says, nothing stands between us. The Lord invites us to join him at the communion table to remember what he did for you, what he did for me, what he did for all of humanity, for everyone who's ever lived, who's alive and will ever live. This is the body of Christ. Eat and remember that he gave much for you. For us to be together at this table, uh, sin had to be dealt with. Jesus came to reconcile and save the lost sinners of the world. And he shed his blood so that we could have the opportunity to say, yeah, I'm in. I want to be with the Lord. I want to be with his people. I want to be saved. I want to be forgiven. I want to go to heaven. Jesus shed his blood so we could say, yeah, I'm in. Drink and remember what he did for us. And I can see the light in the darkness as the darkness bows to him. I can hear the roar in the heavens as the space between where's thin. I can feel the ground shake beneath us as the prison walls gave in. Nothing stands between us. Nothing stands between Hello, church. It is great to see you again. Good to be back on our online services. I hope you're doing amazing. Uh, I miss you. It is so great to see you. Hey, I've got a couple of announcements for you guys today. So a number of things coming up. This Monday, like this Monday, so like real soon, we have our Caneo Valley Meal Program, and we're actually still in need of three volunteers, uh, three different people to sign up to bring some food. So if you're interested and you're watching this on Sunday, go ahead and sign up for that. You can check that out online. We need three more people to provide a meal on Monday tomorrow. So that would be great. Marriage Essentials, we've got our next installment coming up next Sunday at 9 a.m. in the well. We'd love to have you out for that. Baby dedications. There are so many stinking babies around here, and it's going to be fun to have just a sweet time uh, doing some dedicating. Uh, we're excited to be a part of that coming up in two weeks from this Sunday on May 23rd. It's going to be both during the 9 a.m. and the 1045 service. If you are interested, there's an informational meeting coming up next Sunday, the 16th, just in between the two services right around 1015. It'd be great for you to come out and get a little bit more info on that. The ladies are gathering up for a women's courtyard gathering coming up two weeks from this Monday. That's at 6.30 p.m. on Monday the 24th. It's just going to be a sweet time for the ladies to get together, have some Bible study, and a good time. So last week, if you caught Pastor Scott's message, he spent uh, about 25 minutes making fun of all the national days that come around uh, on our calendar, like Rhode Island Independence Day, the Portuguese Language Day. There's some like good, ridiculous ones in there. If you didn't catch Pastor Scott's message from last week, you should. Uh, but that being said, um, today, like in my present, uh, while we're filming here on Thursday, today is the National Day of Prayer. And we actually do want to take some time uh, and just spend some time in prayer because it's important. It's a great just kind of reminder and just bringing us back um, to what is really, really important. Um, so what I want you to do right now 
is I want you to pause me very briefly, and I want you, if it's just by yourself, if it's with a family, with a friend, I want you to just take the next couple of minutes and just pray for three different things. If you would pray for our country, if you would pray for the church, the Big C Church, and if you would pray for your community, um, just spend a little bit of time. Just take, uh, yeah, five minutes out of your Sunday morning or whenever you're watching this and just spend some time talking to the Lord about those three things. So go ahead and do that, and then I'll be waiting for you here in a second. Well, hopefully that was a sweet time of prayer. And before we get to Pastor Scott and our message for today, um, I want to just spend a little bit of time praying for us as well. Let's pray. Uh, dear Father, um, Lord, thank you so much for your goodness. Um, Lord, right now, I just want to lift up our country, and it feels like we're in crazy times. I, people have probably been saying that for years and years, um, Lord, but we are. And Lord, we're just so desperate for you to move and to act in our country. Lord, we pray for our leaders, and we pray that you would just be moving and stirring behind the scenes, that you would be doing things that only you can do. Lord, would your Holy Spirit be moving in the lives of um, those that are in leadership positions. And Lord, we just lift up our country to you. Lord, I pray for the church as well. Um, the Big C Church uh, is neat as I just got out of a, a two-hour meeting with a, a new missionary and just cool to hear what you're doing around the world and just how church looks different around the world and um, just how you're the same God regardless of it here in America and Agora Hills or around the world, um, Lord. So we just are thankful that you are in control, that you're reigning and ruling, that your plan for your church won't be stopped. And Lord, we just ask that you'd continue to strengthen your bride, um, Lord, and we're just so desperate again for you to show up and continue to move and stir and expand your church here on this earth, uh, here this year and in the years to come. And Lord, I pray for Agora Hills, and we're just so thankful to be positioned here in this place. Lord, you continue to give us sweet influence uh, in this general vicinity where our building is located, but also just where the church, Agora Bible Hills uh, Fellowship Church, spreads out in the people, Lord, that you would just be moving in the little communities, the neighborhoods, um, the apartment complexes, uh, just anywhere where there's people here in this church, Lord, that you would just be moving in mighty ways. Uh, Lord, we're so desperate for you to go before us and to pave the way. I pray that you'd continue to give us boldness as a church um, so that we would just have maximum impact for what you're trying to do here and now. Help us to walk in faith. Help us to walk in boldness, just knowing how good you are and um, how worth it you are and how um, life-saving the good news of Jesus is. So, Lord, thank you. We love you so much, and we pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Here's Pastor Scott. Well, thank you, Josh. Always a, a nice uh, welcome. And I uh, want to just take a second, and as we're gathering, and if it has, hasn't already been communicated enough, we just want to wish you a happy Mother's Day. We're so uh, glad that, uh, thankful for all of our moms, and hopefully uh, this service is a blessing uh, for you. In fact, I was looking back over the last eight years that I've been here, I was kind of looking back at the different messages on Mother's Day. True fact, I have not done one single mother's specific message in eight years. I feel a little bit guilty for that. And so I'm going to try to make up for some uh, lost ground today with addressing a topic that I think is probably pertinent for most moms, the whole idea of parenting. The whole idea of parenting we're going to address here uh, today. And it's exciting. We have 
Jordan and Andrea Zhu that are joining us, and they have three kids, and so this is definitely relevant for you, a topic probably near and dear uh, to your heart. And then obviously Josh and Lindsay, as they're raising a hallelujah, isn't that fun to say? Have you heard that yet? Uh, that, was, that was Lisa Starr, raising a hallelujah. They call her Holly for short. Excited to have her, on, her here on the stage for a second time. We'll see if I can put her to sleep. All right, well, we're going to be addressing the topic, as I said, of parenting, but I think it's not just relevant for moms. I would suggest that it's really relevant for all of us, whether you're a father, whether you're a son, a daughter, a grandparent, or even just a child of God. I think there's still something in this for everyone. Proverbs 29, 18 tells us something important. It tells us that without biblical vision, people go every direction. Now, some, some of your translations might say without a vision, people will perish. Uh, but the big idea is this, is when you don't have a direction that you're headed, when there's not a clear-cut course, man, you can go all kinds of crazy directions. And that's true in parenting for sure. Anybody remember the season in high school when you used to get word that you had a substitute teacher? That's what I'd paint the picture of a lack of vision. They would show up and the students, you would try to get away with as much as possible. I remember the torment that we sent poor substitutes through. But every once in a while, you got one of those substitutes that like had like the strong arm of the law. And you're just like, man, I got more trouble with them than I did normally. And so this idea of vision is something that every single parent needs to think about. So I asked the question, and I've hit you with a couple tough questions over the last few weeks. The question this week is, what vision do you have for your kids if you have children? In many families, truth be told, there's really no established vision. There's no real direction. And unfortunately, it's one of two camps often. It's either no vision for your kids or probably even worse, it's a vision that you've adopted from the culture around us. You, you've looked at the best of, of what's around us and you say, okay, that'll be the vision for my children. Think about how often people settle for that. Some of the things that our culture points to. I, I just want a, my kid to grow up and be successful. That's one that's gonna leave them disappointed when they start to see that success is a fleeting thing. How about this one? Some parents settle for this. I just want to make sure that my kids grow up and they're happy. You're like, well, happiness is also fleeting and disappointing. Or worse, this is the, the worst one that I see so often from our culture, is I really want my kids to grow up and make me happy doing the things, the plans I have for them, the, things, the course that I've set for them. So often these lead to ruin, but unfortunately, the reality is, is that we can't lean into the culture for anything of significance as it relates to this subject. Where we have to keep coming back to is God's word. What should my vision be for my parenting, for my child from God's word? I would suggest the study of God's word, the conclusion that I've come to, and you're welcome to argue with me on this, is the vision that's most biblical out of anything is I want my children to be committed followers of Jesus Christ. That's, that's the big idea, that they grow up and they love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ with their entire life because regardless 
of whether life goes great for them, they'll still have, or it goes poorly for them, they'll still have everything. And if they have everything else that the world has to offer and they don't have a relationship with Jesus, truth be told, they'll have nothing. I don't care how happy you think they are, how successful they are, how happy they've made you by following your plan for, your life, for their life. It doesn't matter. It means nothing if they don't have Jesus. So we can't give up on that vision. We can't divert from that vision. We have to stay focused on that vision if we want to see it come to fruition in our children's life. I was talking this past uh, Tuesday, we had our closing ceremonies for the uh, Awana for the year. And it was interesting. I had a chance to talk with all the parents at once and was explaining to them, man, how proud I was of them for prioritizing Awana, even in a COVID crazy year. A lot of them still made the choice to be out here each week and encouraging them in that, recognizing that there's so much at stake as it relates to our kids spiritually. I was sharing a few statistics that I read this week. You maybe have not heard these before. 83% of new Christians are between the age of four and 14. In that same age group, if they're consistently exposed to the gospel, it's around 32% that have a a chance of responding to it out of that. So 32%, you expose them, For an extended period of time, 32% will embrace the gospel message. That percentage drops all the way to 14% in the age group from 14 to 18. So capturing and investing in our young children's life is huge as we want to disciple them and move them towards the vision of being fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. We can't settle for grades in baseball before God. There's too much at stake. But here's another thing I want to remind us, even before we get into this parenting subject, is just because you do all the right things doesn't guarantee, unfortunately, that our children are going to follow the Lord. We can, though, set the table as best as possible, eliminate as many obstacles, and that's part of the plan as parenting. We want to do as best as we can to create an environment where they can embrace and follow Jesus. And that's where we turn to God's word for leadership and direction on this subject. Let me just pray before we look at Ephesians chapter 6 here today. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this chance to gather around your word. And I just thank you even talking with Adrian about all the the new babies in this last year and all the kids that are going to be dedicated in the weeks to come. We're just excited to see what you're doing with young families. God, we ask though that you'd speak to every single group in this church right now through this text, whether they're young, whether they're old, whether they're uh, a, a new parent, whether they've already raised their kids, God, that you'd have something for them from this text. We invite you now to move in this time. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. All right, so this is a passage a lot of you may be familiar with, but maybe the application hasn't been quite as strong as you might hope. Starting in Ephesians chapter 6, just verse 1 is what we're going to begin with. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Children, obey your parents. That's one of our favorite verses as parents to direct our kids to. Here's a A quote that I heard some years back, it says, Some years ago, the Minnesota Crime Commission issued a report which said, in part, 
Every baby starts life as a little savage. He is completely selfish and self-centered. He wants what he wants when he wants it. His bottle, his mother's attention, his playmate's toys, his uncle's watch or whatever. Deny him these and he seizes with rage and aggressiveness, which would be murderous were he not so helpless. He's dirty. He has no morals, no knowledge, no developed skills. This means that all children, not just certain children, but all children are born delinquent. <laughs> if permitted to continue in their self-centered world of infancy, given free reign to their impulsive actions to satisfy each one, every child would grow up a criminal, a thief, a killer, a rapist. Woo, that's pretty intense. That was their conclusion as they did study of children and their propensity towards crime. Obviously pointing to the responsibility of parents to do what? Redirect them. The natural tendency is headed in the wrong direction. Our job as parents is to make sure they're directed the correct way. Again, without vision, someone goes wherever their heart takes them. Catch that, if permitted to continue in their self-centered world. So parents, we have our work cut out for us. And not only are kids born with a sinful nature, they're born into, this is going to be encouraging, right? They're born into a broken, fallen world that's wanting to pull them in the direction, as I already discussed, that it is heading which we've been specifically told all the way from back with Moses that as Christ followers, we're called to live differently, to not go the same direction as the masses. Listen to God's words to Moses. He said, you shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you lived, and you shall not do what they do in the land of Canaan to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. In other words, we're called to be set apart, to be different. So he's speaking that it has to begin with children and obedience. When he says children, I found it interesting that the term here is techna. It's not a specific to a, a young child, but really of offspring of all ages. When you're like, wait a second, well, at what point does that end? Well, the practical application of that, some of us have leaned towards the roof roll. Have you ever heard that before, the roof roll? In other words, if they're still living under your roof, uh, they're responsible to listen to your uh, directives. Some of us will apply that to a physical roof. Some of that may even apply that to a financial roof. If you're still receiving income, I remember how hard it was to get my wife to give back the visa card to her parents even after we were married. If you're still receiving support from parents, then you're still under their leadership. So he's telling them, children, obey. The word obey there used means hear under. It involves listening intently. That's the expectation of us with our kids. When you're speaking up, when you're giving them direction, they need to perk their ears up. Anybody have kids that do that? Of course, right? Okay, maybe not mine. Sure, sure don't. Or, I mean, we're working on that. Uh, perking up, making sure that they're attentive to what's being said, and then obeying what has been directed, responding positively to what was heard. Really, this is all establishing the groundwork of obedience that's critical for all of our lives. Think about the big picture. 
where God's really just designing obedient kids with the intent of them becoming obedient adults. In the meantime, we're called to fill the gap for them. And that doesn't mean, obviously, obedient if it has something that's contrary to Scripture. That's what somebody always comes back to me with. Well, what if they're telling them to do something they're not supposed to? remember being at Six Flags a couple years ago with my kids, and it was a real busy day, and there's tons of people in and out of these stores. And I saw, just I was waiting for my kids outside the store, and I saw a mom kind of checking and clearing the path as her kids each walked out with a toy for themselves that they had picked in the store. I was like, when your mom is directing you to steal stuff on, even if it is Mother's Day, you're allowed to say no. Otherwise, we're intended to follow and obey what we're directed to. And really, what does it say? Obey them in the Lord, direct them in the Lord. It answers the why question kids want to ask so often. So often we want to respond with the response, why am I supposed to do that? You're like, because I said so. But here's the reality. What God's word says is next time they ask why is because God said so, because it's right. It's the way that he designed. It's his plan. It's what he put in place. Parents were intended to stand in the gap between the kids and God while they're still unable to have a mature relationship with them. Did you catch that? We're, to, we're supposed to fill the gap, to stand in the gap until they figure out what a healthy, responsive relationship with God looks like. And so here's the idea. The first thing is obedience. Do what they're told. And then the second piece, you see, it talks more about attitude. Honor your father and mother. So you're supposed to first do as you're told. Do it immediately. And then second, you see that attitude matters. It says to honor your father and mother. Uh, obey relates to actions. Honor relates to attitude. Both are important and one might say critical in the whole obedience thing. Here's the thing. Our culture, here's the thing with that honor idea is our culture is so quick to paint parents as somebody that's kind of clueless and out of it. Man, I'll tell you what, if I see one more sitcom that paints a, a dad as an out-of-touch buffoon, man, it just breaks my heart every time I see that. I'm like, that, that's, not, that's not me, kids. And so here's the idea to honor your parents. It's a respect thing. And we're intended, here's the catch for us as parents, is we're supposed to live in a manner that's worthy of honor. You want to live a honorable life. You don't want to have to be constantly telling your kids, you need to honor me. Man, you need to live in a, in a manner in which, man, they want to honor you. We had fun this week creating this little video for moms, and it was nothing that was forced upon these kids. They had something specific they wanted to honor their moms and celebrate about their character. Check this video out right now. Awesome because she gives me lots of hugs. My mom is awesome because she bakes with me. Mom, you're awesome because you get cozy with me and you read me and you read to me. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day! My mommy is awesome because she puts me to sleep. My mom is awesome because she rides in the power wheel with me. My mom is awesome because she's awesome. 
happy Monday, mommy. I love you. Can you say, my mom is awesome? My mom is awesome. Mom, you're awesome because you made us dinner and special treats. You're awesome because you uh, you do my you help me do my homework and you take us special places. Happy Mother's Day. You're the best mom ever. My mommy's awesome because she's beautiful. My mommy is awesome because she is a great cook and her food is really yummy. My mom is awesome because she gives me lots of hugs. Savannah, what makes your mom so awesome? Well said. My mom is awesome because she gives the best hugs and she's sweet and kind. Because? She's really understanding and is great to talk to. I love my mom because she just, I feel like she's just so understanding of everything that um, I'm having trouble with and she is just, whenever I'm with her, I just feel so happy. My mom is the best because, because um, she these other chosen places me. My mom is awesome because she makes dinner for us. Yeah, yeah. And, and my mom is awesome because she loves Jesus. Why is mom awesome? Uh, why is mom awesome? Because she loves us. Loves us. My mom is awesome because she works really hard to give me a good life. My mom is really awesome because she takes me to gymnastics and cooks for us. My mom's awesome because she takes us on trips. My mom is special because she plays baseball. She plays baseball. My mom is awesome because she always inspires me to be better. My mom is awesome because she makes the best dinner in the world. I love you, mom. My mom is awesome. She gives always me donuts. My mom is awesome because she cooks delicious meals day and night. My mom is awesome because she cuddles at me. My mom is awesome because she cares for me so, so much. She does everything for me and I love her so much. She is so kind to me and loving. My mom is awesome because she is very, very nice. She loves me play video games and she prepares lunch for me. My mom is awesome because she's very thoughtful and helpful and encouraging. Hi, my mommy is awesome because she helps us when we're hurt and she has the love of Jesus in her. My mom is awesome and she loves me. My mom is awesome because she goes to the store and buys stuff for us. My mom is awesome because she helps me set up my lemonade stand. My mom is awesome because she is loving, adventurous, kind, and smart. My mom is a is awesome because she loves me. She's adventurous and she plays with me all the time, and she's awesome. 
I love my mom because she is very sweet and I love her cooking and I love how she teaches me about God and I love how she loves everybody in my family. My mommy is awesome because she, she lets me jump on her. My mommy is awesome because she does your hair every morning. My mommy is awesome because she loves me, she plays with me sometimes, and she, does, she works for our house, and she makes me laugh, and that's all. My mom because she likes to do crafts. I love my mom because she likes to play games. My mom is awesome because she helps us and works hard for us, and she loves me so much. My mom is so awesome because she, she takes care of me and paces me. My mom is awesome because she comforts me when I need her. She always makes me feel happy and listens to me and gives her full attention and does my hair so pretty. You think my dad did this? No way. So fun to see some of our kids celebrating our moms. Obviously worthy of celebration. I especially like the little girl with her hair uh, being done. Here's the idea though, is that we're intended to have children honor parents and they're not gonna just stumble upon that. It's something that you have to train them up in, that you have to identify when they're not, that you have to call it out and celebrate when it happens and call it out when it's not. And this is something that really this honoring piece isn't a timeline for that with parents. Some of us with aging parents, and it's, it's a challenge all of our days that we're intended to honor and show respect to our parents, even with some of us caring for elderly parents still today. Notice though that this obedience and honor comes with a promise attached to it. Do you see it in the text? It says, this is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Paul shows all the way back the connection that this has to the Ten Commandments, that the promise was attached back then. Obedience to your parents was resulted in blessing. Here, what does he point out? He extends it into present-day believers. One, he says it will go well with you. This relates to quality of life. How often things you're able to skip pitfalls when you're actually obedient to your parents. Your parents have been there a little longer and they can identify things that are gonna derail you and cause you to stumble. Think about how challenging that is as a parent, how much it must be for God the Father when dealing with us. When he's saying, my parameters for you are with your best interest in mind. It's not to keep you from good stuff, it's to protect you from bad stuff. There's benefits to staying within the protective care of one's father. I was thinking about that as it relates to God and how many different things that he directs us towards that he's saying, he's telling us things for our best interest. 
number of times it's come up in topics in the last month or two of how challenging it is for sometimes people that are dealing with singleness and trying to figure out who they're going to uh, be a long, in a long-term relationship and what God's word teaches about that. He tells us he's very specific about this in 2 Corinthians 6.14. Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For somebody that's considering that possibility of marrying somebody that isn't a follower of Jesus Christ, that's a parameter that he's put in place for your own protection. Now, can you still have a a full life and still have a life of influence as a Christ follower? Absolutely. But will it be absent of challenge? No, that's a harder route to take for sure. He says, go well with you. And what's the second thing? That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. I'm not really sure how to interpret that other than a long life. If someone else has a better suggestion based on your study, this is the idea that our our health and our, our length of life is attached to getting some of these things right from God's word. I wanted to identify that too. If you're, if you're hoping to live a long life, man, get this whole obedience thing correct. Continue in verse four. Now it moves to some parameters for parents, which are important as well. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We'll stop there for a moment. It addresses fathers, but it actually uses the original word there, pateris, elsewhere in scripture, refers to both parents in that subject line. I would say, especially for Mother's Day, relevant for both mom and dad, that were intended not to provoke this idea of a cautionary thing, saying it's, it's a, a concept that really every single one of us should consider when we're raising our kids. Back in that day and age, with the audience that they were surrounded with, this would have been a completely foreign idea. I was looking in a a, a little commentator related to this as describing that in Rome, they had something called patria potestas, which means power of the father. In other words, under the Roman law, a Roman father really operated like a dictator. He had authority to cast out his kids, sell them as slaves, even to take their lives. You're like, so this idea of making sure that you're not provoking your children or uh, annoying them or aggravating them, you're like, what? That's, that's not even on the radar. But God's plan doesn't necessarily always align with culture. Often it calls us to something, as I mentioned earlier, to live different to live set apart, to be uh, opposite from the world in which we're placed. If you've ever been provoked, you understand why this is such an important thing. You want to uh, be as careful as possible not to have your kids be at a place with your parenting that like, they're, they're so exasperated because of your choices that they're just longing for the day that they'll finally be out of the house from you. Got me thinking this week, I don't know where this, uh, how I came up with this, but when I was in college, I, uh, we actually rented a house with a, a couple different roommates. And the house that we rented, I had one uh, ro- uh, guy that was staying with us there. His name was Mark. He's still a friend to this day. But man, he knew how to push my buttons like none other. I've always been a little bit, my wife would attest to this, a little bit type A. I like things in a particular order. I like them in their place. And I get a little annoyed when they're not. And so I had this particular 
shelving system in my room where I had all my sweaters all nicely folded and placed in rows. He would walk in when I was just about to doze off. He'd start talking to me. And just as he's talking conversation, he'd just take him off the shelf, stop just dropping him on the floor. So Scott, tell me about your day. What's going on? Dropping one, dropping another. Oh, if he wasn't so much bigger than me, (laughs) it would have been a mass murder. But here's the idea here. Provoking our kids can have that same effect that I'm still talking about it 25 years later. But here's the danger of our kids. Man, you don't want to do anything that pushes them away from you or from the Lord. I jotted down a couple of these. I've actually shared this list before, but I think it's such a valuable one. I wanted to revisit it. It's ways that we can provoke our kids. Maybe you can add to this list. Maybe you can think of things from uh, a personal experience. This is the first one, is being too tough on them. It's too tough, too, too harsh, too raising your voice too much, uh, losing your temper, losing your cool. That's one of the ways it's so easy to provoke your child. Another one in the list. Number two, not affirming them. Never ever taking time to encourage them. It's easy to identify things that they're doing wrong. It takes actual thought to identify when they're doing something right and celebrate that. Point that out. Make a big deal about it. People tend to respond a lot more to affirmation than to guilt. And so that's a, a wonderful one for us to be on the guard against, making sure we're affirming. Number three, ways that we can provoke overly restrictive, having really unreasonable rules in place. And a lot of them, when you're asked about them in the back of your mind, you know, in your heart of hearts, really, there's no good reason for that rule. It's just my rule. Well, here's the danger of that. That's another thing that can push your children away. I was listening to my former lead pastor back at the church in Chicago, and they're asking him, I always remember this interview, they're asking me if he could go back, he had adult kids, said, if you could go back and do anything different with raising your kids, what would you have done differently? I think that's a fair question to ask adults. And his response was interesting to me. He said, I would have focused a lot more on the whys rather than the what's. What he meant by that, as he expounded, he said, a lot of times I just told them what to do. You need to do this because dad said to do it. He said, man, if I could go back, it would have been the why I'm asking you to do it. Explaining the, the rationale, that teaching component is so important in not provoking our kids. So not too tough, not affirming, uh, overly restrictive. And the th- fourth one, not overly protective. Even well-meaning parents can get this piece wrong where you try to protect them and shelter them from everything instead of gradually exposing them to more and more and giving them choices because eventually they're going to collide with the world, whether it's while they're under your roof or whether it's when they're out on their own. And so often when a, a, a child is protected so closely all the way through, when they're finally exposed to choice, Man, it takes them to some really dangerous places because they've never learned how to survive. No survival skills have been sharpened over the years. One last one in the list is this achievement focus. Parents can push achievement beyond reasonable bounds, trying to push them to pursue passions rather than being concerned about their character. 
pushing a little too hard, trying to, trying to push them to be something that maybe they're not designed to be. So often that can be another area of, cons- another area of provoking, less concerned about their character and more about performance, man, can take you down some dark roads. This isn't an exhaustive list. I'm sure you could add some to your, uh, to your, add some to it, but the alternate sounds a lot better. It says, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up carries the sense of actually coming alongside of them and working with them. You think of bringing up somebody, you're, you're carrying them from one point to another or you're leading them or you're, uh, as, a, as mommy uh, transport van, you're like, I'm bringing them, them to this thing. I'm bringing them to this thing. That's the whole idea, bringing them up. There's a, a care piece to that. But he says, which is key to this, bring them up in discipline and instruction. Basically, discipline includes teaching and training, but also, and this is a tough topic, it also includes implementing consequences for disobedience. Discipline is a tough subject in a child-centered culture. We treat them as if they're delicate little flowers that we don't want to damage. But discipline is so critical in the life of a child because it's the most loving thing you can do. In fact, Scripture points to Jesus himself disciplining the ones whom he loves. It's an act of love because it's saving them from the future ramification of their disobedience. I was talking to a guy in our life group who's a police officer and he was sharing, he's like, man, he's like, really either parents help, help with discipline when their kids are grow, growing up or we have a, uh, a jail system that accomplishes the same thing when they're adults. It's kind of one or the other. You get that figured out. Discipline is critical even when your kid is precious to you. Because they're so precious to you, you have a little hallelujah at home, you still have to discipline. Look at Lindsay's like, I'm not disciplining her. You still have to discipline adorable children regardless. It's a healthy part. And it says disciplining them in the instruction, in the, and instruction of the Lord. Instruction is this, not always shielding your child from something, but preparing them for something. We try to create an environment in our own house, and sometimes we get this right, sometimes we don't, where we talk about everything, where there's not a subject that we can't bring up with the kids so that they're learning from us as parents rather than their knucklehead friends at school. That's the idea, is you're the one intended to be instructing them in the Lord. That's the plan here. Not your ideas, but pointing to God's directives. Bring up discipline and instruction, not my ideas, but his. Here's the, princi- here's the idea. These are principles, but it's hard to live these out in the real world, right? This, this whole parenting thing is challenging from every single area. But here's the reminder that I have that I feel like God's been teaching me lately is when you, when you get it right, that's great. That's like a certain percentage of the time. But here's the important thing that I think one thing I wanted to, I felt compelled to point to parents in our church family is when you get it wrong, being okay with telling your kid, hey, I blew it. I messed up there. I could have done that differently. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? 
And I'll tell you what, that lays a groundwork, not just for parenting in the future, but also for marriage and relationships moving forward. There's no expectation that we're going to be perfect as it relates to this. So here's the tough thing that I already alluded to earlier, and we see this in a lot of conversations with, fam- with uh, different parents here in our church. The tough thing is this, godly parenting doesn't guarantee godly kids. No, you're just like, well, but pastor, what about Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he, is, he will not depart from it. Here's the problem, is you can't always take a proverb as a promise, What a proverb is, is a statement about how life generally works. So what we can do is, as I mentioned earlier, you can set the table with the, create the odds in your favor so that they will grow up to follow the Lord. But again, we have that whole free will thing. Think about this for a moment. God established the perfect environment back in the Garden of Eden. He was the perfect father. He was the perfect one for setting boundaries and guidelines and discipline and consequences, all that he is perfect in, but still free will moved us to go our own direction. For us as parents, that should be what brings us out of this parenting thing more than anything else I can compel you towards is bringing us back to our knees. Lord Jesus, man, I pray for my kid. Hold their hearts because really, if you get them to obey and just do the things you tell them, but you never see their hearts changed and directed towards him, we've got a problem. So my hope and my prayer for us as a church family is that in this, there's really a little bit of something for all of us, for every single one of us, whether we were not, any longer in the middle of the parenting thing, maybe the honoring thing. Maybe you have a a parent still around or alive that you need to show more honor and respect to. Maybe the, the word that the Lord has for you is better obedience and understanding that his directives are the same as our directives as parents with our best interest in mind. Or maybe for someone that's not in the middle of parenting right now, the reminder is this. The reminder is the vision that we have for a child growing up to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ is really the same vision that our heavenly father has for us, that we would grow up and be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. I instituted or started last week just saying I wanted to start giving margin in our time together for you just to prayerfully consider what it is the Lord wanted to nudge you on, encourage you uh, toward what he is speaking to you through today's text. So I'm going to give us again just the gift of silence for a few moments just to see what the Lord has to speak to you. I'll be quiet and then close in prayer. Dear Lord, again, we thank you for this chance to be together in your word, and we thank you for you being the perfect father, the perfect parent for us. 
the one that's patient and long-suffering, that's not doing things to provoke us, but is wanting to instruct us and discipline us and move us in the right direction without exasperating us as children. God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your patience. We thank you for the blessing that we have even in this uh, listening audience of so many different moms. I pray you'd encourage them. And I know with Mother's Day, it can evoke a lot of different emotions for different people in a fallen, broken world. And so I pray that you'd meet people where they're at, even in these moments, whether they need a, a reminder, a breath of encouragement, whatever that is, Lord, I ask that you give that even in these moments as we lead into this last song. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.
generations and your family and your children and their children and their children may his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and their children and their children and their children may his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children may his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children may his presence go before you and behind you and beside you all around you and within you he's with you he's with you in the morning in the evening in your coming and you're going in your weeping and rejoicing he's for you 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 What an amazing song. Well, church, I pray you have a fantastic week. And again, moms, happy Mother's Day. Hopefully you're encouraged and celebrated. We're so grateful for you. God bless you. Have an amazing week.